0: There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person. Please join me in welcoming for the first time to the Institute of Catholic Culture, Bishop Larry Silva.
1: Thank you, Deacon Sabatino. Aloha, everyone. It is good to be with you here and thank you very much for inviting me. Let us begin with prayer. Loving God, you are merciful and you are truth and mercy and truth come together in you who are one God in three persons. Help us to know you not only with our minds but with our hearts and to share you as you have shared yourself with us. Let us be merciful and truthful as you are merciful and truth. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Divine Mercy or Diabolical Deception. On December 8th 2015 we will enter this uh, special jubilee year of mercy proclaimed by Pope Francis. In a world that can often be very merciless, we pray that it will be a year of favor from the Lord, a year of healing and reconciliation. It is the Holy Father's intention to remind the whole church of our prophetic mission of pouring oil and wine into the wounds of our neighbors who are beat up and left to die by the side of the road of moving them to a place of safety and healing, and of using our own resources to care for them. It is a time to examine ourselves and our church to see whether we have hardened our hearts against our enemies rather than committed ourselves to love them after the example of our divine master. It is an opportunity to open doors that might have been tight shut too long for uh, so many others who have come and who want to experience the incredible mercy of God. It is a year of setting captives free, whether they are in prison and locked up uh, physically, or whether they have locked up their own hearts against goodness or whether they are walking free but are captivated by self-destructive ideas or ideologies. It is a time to reflect on the face of the most merciful God in whose image and likeness we were made but from whom we have all strayed. It may well be worth our while during this jubilee year of mercy to deepen our belief in what seems so unbelievable, the fathomless ocean of God's mercy. It is overwhelming and magnanimous, abundant and profound. God's mercy is shown in how he pursues us like the relentless hound of heaven, exhausting himself to go after us when we have strayed away or have sinned. God's mercy permeates the scriptures and culminates in the divine mercy of Jesus. Jesus is ever patient with his dense disciples, chiding them at times for their unbelief, but never giving up on them. He tells stories of mercy, the prodigal son, the owner of the vineyard who hired workers throughout the day and paid all of them the same wage, the good Samaritan, the one lost sheep. He taught about the blessedness of mercy on the Sermon on the Mount. He showed mercy to the woman caught in adultery whom others wanted to stone to death in driving out demons and in dining with the once crooked tax collector named Zacchaeus. One of his disciples, Peter, thought he understood the depths of God's mercy by suggesting that one should forgive seven times that number which for the Jews would mean a limitless number. But Jesus corrected him and taught him that to forgive our friends and relatives who have hurt us is something that we should do 70 times seven, infinitely more than the infinite, as well as to love our enemies and to pray for them, which is much, much more difficult. Mercy is shown on the night of the resurrection when Jesus appears to his closest friends who had abandoned him in his greatest hour of need, including three who fell asleep when he begged them to stay awake and pray for him, and one who denied that he even knew him, not once, not twice, but three times, and this was after he he was warned that he would do so and swore that he would not. Yet the first words of Jesus to them after his horrible death are peace be with you. Instead of breathing out well-deserved scoldings, he breathes on them the gift of the Holy Spirit. Instead of chiding them for being so untrustworthy, he entrusts them with a mission his own mission of forgiving sins. When one of them was not there with them when he first appeared and expressed the greatest doubt and skepticism, he appeared to him and playfully challenged him to satisfy his doubts. This is the divine mercy that led Jesus to forgive those who cruelly, and unjustly condemned him to a horrifying death by crucifixion. This is the divine mercy that spared not even the Son of God to give his life so that wayward humanity could be saved. This is the divine mercy expressed in a father who has been told as much as to drop dead by his wayward son, yet who welcomes him back with festivity when his son showed even a bit of remorse. Such mercy is very difficult for us to comprehend. It is so very real. It will surely take more than a Jubilee year for any of us to fully understand the depths of God's merciful love. Yet whenever there is something good we can be sure that Satan is not far from us, scheming in his brilliantly clever ways to ultimately turn us away from God and to share in his infernal misery. Here is how St. Ignatius of Loyola describes Satan's modus operandi in his spiritual exercises. It is the mark of evil to assume the appearance of an angel of light. He begins by suggesting thoughts that are suited to a devout soul and ends by suggesting his own. For example, he will suggest holy and pious thoughts that are holy in conformity with the sanctity of the soul. Afterwards, He will endeavor little by little to end by drawing the soul into his hidden snares and evil designs. And so it is the nature of the devil to take the truth and to twist it to his perverse purposes. Many in our culture today are under this influence when they point out the truth. Of God's magnanimous mercy, but they presume that that mercy does not demand conversion from sin. They presume that because Jesus is so merciful and so loving, he really does not care whether or not we sin. He is blind to sin, they conclude, if he believes there is any such thing as all at all because he is just so blindly in love with every person now such twisted thinking takes the truth and distorts it so that it is no longer the truth but just the opposite if we follow this path of thinking to its logical conclusion then we have to ask what is the significance of Jesus anyway? Or of any kind of Savior, for that matter. If there is no sin from which we need to be saved, then why bother approaching the throne of mercy? If grace is so cheap that we can snap our fingers at God to order it up, then why in the world did Jesus bother to suffer so much for us? Why was he willing to be so wounded and from those wounds to pour forth water and blood to nourish us and wash us if such a washing was never really needed in the first place? I believe that it is this attitude that has reaped a gold mine of distortion by taking those famous words of Saint Francis, or Pope Francis, who am I to judge? And twisting them to imply that there is really nothing in the world for anyone to judge. This, of course, was not the intention of Pope Francis. If he had fallen into this diabolical deception that mercy is so abundant that it is cheap, why would he bother to have called a year of, of jubilee of mercy? Why would he bother to depute missionaries of mercy to go and reconcile sinners throughout the world? Why would he challenge the church to engage in penitential practices that will not only open us to receive true divine mercy, but to help us be agents of mercy to others? The heart of Jesus is wide open, pouring out blood and water in divine mercy. But the eye of Jesus never winks at sin or makes light of it. He loves precisely to turn us away from sin so that we can be freed to to bathe freely in his love. I'm sure that this kind of diabolical deception is the reason that so few people avail themselves of the sacrament of penance these days. We have been deceived by that diabolical notion of mercy that convinces us that God's love is so immense that there is no possibility of punishment. Perhaps this is why so few people Even such a small percentage of Catholics approach the Lord Jesus to worship him and cry out, my Lord and my God, since if there is no need for a savior, then why give any time to Jesus? Satan, our ancient enemy is so clever. He does not portray Jesus as a harsh judge who is ready to condemn us for the slightest transgression of the law. The devil takes the truth of the immensity of God's mercy and distorts us to convince us that there is nothing we could do that God would care about. There is no sin that he would be concerned about. This is diabolical deception and not true mercy and it is this diabolical pretension of mercy that divine mercy wants to destroy. Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. But if he does not care if we sin or not, why would he say, repent? I believe this diabolical deception is supported by several attitudes we have adopted, and I would like to look at three of them which were related to each other. I think we should pray and reflect upon these during the Jubilee of Mercy. One is the presumption that mercy must always be mild. Two is the domestication of Jesus. And three is the notion of inclusivity. So let me talk more about those. It is quite natural to think of mercy as mild and soothing because very often it is truly a balm that softens wounds but not always. I think of the first act of mercy of God in the Bible which seemed so harsh but in fact was a great gift. When Adam and Eve sinned by eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, God expelled them from the Garden of Eden. Most would think of this first as a punishment. And yes, it was a punishment. But if we look carefully at the story, we might discover something else. God knew that there yet remained in the garden the tree of life and that on the day they ate the fruit of the tree of life they would live forever. And God lamented the fact that man and woman did not know who they truly were. The serpent had tricked them into thinking that if they ate a certain fruit or did a certain thing They would be like God. This is in itself not a perverted desire, since how could wanting to be like God be wrong? God is good. But what Adam and Eve did not recognize, and this was the deception, was that they already were like God. They had been made in the image and likeness of God. And it was that deception that uh, taught them or uh, led them to believe that they had to do something else, that there was something lacking to them yet. And so they fell for that deception. They did not need to eat any fruit or do any other thing to be like God because their creator had made them like himself breathing his own spirit into them. And I believe that God could not bear the thought of their living forever without knowing who they truly were. And so, he expelled them from the garden so that they could not eat of the fruit of the tree of life until they understood their true identity. That was an act Of great mercy not primarily a punishment but an act of great mercy it was spared them from living forever without understanding how beautifully and wonderfully they had been made it was Jesus the second Adam who was a human being who truly knew he was one with God and who was then permitted to enter the garden, to climb up on the tree of life and to eat its fruit, and in fact, to become its fruit, so that when we eat his flesh and drink his blood, we can live forever. But to approach this tree of life and eat of its fruit, we must repent of our desire to be God, And simply give praise that we are like God because he has given us the gift of being so and that is more than good enough. So mercy can sometimes be harsh. Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple precincts with whips and cords and by doing so He was shouting out with his voice and his whole body a call to repentance. Jesus warned that at the last judgment those who would be on his left would be told, out of my sight you condemned into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now if that isn't go to hell I don't know what is. (laughs) This was a merciful message so that we would not end up in that terrible place. We readily perceive that these words and actions were very harsh, yet they were not less merciful than anything else, he said. And I think sometimes we uh, put those difficult words that we'd rather not hear in the short version and we just are or the, or the long version we just read the short version the part we like where we enter into the kingdom then there is the question of the domestication of Jesus the taming of Jesus I think we often read the scriptures with blinders on seeing only what we want to see and ignoring the difficult things that Jesus says. We have sanitized Jesus, refusing to acknowledge that he could be a very fiery preacher. He wasn't crucified because he warmed everyone's hearts. So let's look at some of the gospel passages that we can too readily gloss over. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on that day of judgment than for that town. That is harsh. Go into the whole world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. We sanitize that sometimes. We, we read it, but we just kind of overlook it. It's kind of, whoever does not believe will be condemned. <laughs> he turned to, Jesus, to Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. He cursed a fig tree because it was unproductive and it wasn't even the season for figs. This this series of woe to you sayings, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, uh, these are not nice things. These got him into a lot of trouble. We can look we can very easily overlook these passages of the scriptures because they are not nice they are not things that uh, we know people like to hear they do not bring a smile to people's faces and sometimes that seems to be the only goal Jesus was fiery zealous and in your face direct He knew when to soften his words, and when not to. And he did not hesitate to let his words rip into people. This, was this a lack of mercy? Or was it the greatest mercy? Turning up the volume on those who had become deaf to gentle pleadings. If we only allow Jesus to say the things we like him to say, Instead of saying all that he actually said, then we twist the truth about what re- who he really is. And that is diabolical deception. Along with this notion of Boy Scout Jesus, who is always thoughtful, friendly, courteous, kind, is the notion of inclusivity that is so popular in our culture Uh, And this notion seems to be that this is the essence of the gospel, that everyone is included. Yes, there are countless incidents where Jesus includes in his circle of love those whom others exclude. Prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners... The circle is indeed very wide, and all are invited into it. But every circle has a circumference. And it has an inside and an outside. And Jesus makes it very clear that there will be those who, because of their pride or sins, put themselves outside the circle of salvation. Again, we see the goats on the left at the last judgment. We hear Jesus speak often of those who will be thrown into the dark where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. We are shocked, along with his early disciples, when he says it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. We hear him say in Matthew seven thirteen fourteen to 14, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. We do not like to hear these things because they don't, do not fit always into our notion of mercy. Yet Jesus, would, would he be truly showing us mercy if he saw the, the traps and snares that lay ahead of us and did not warn them, warn us about them. While we are challenged by how inclusive Jesus was, we are challenged even more in our own day to face up to the warnings about exclusion from the kingdom. Now God knows very well that we are all sinners, that we allow ourselves to be deceived as easily as our first parents allowed themselves to be deceived. God sees very clearly our filth and our anemia, and washes us with water and blood from the wounded side of Jesus, not to affirm us in our sinfulness, but to call us to love us into conversion. Divine mercy does not sit down, not, does sit down, and break bread with the greatest of sinners but never to overlook our sins, but rather to allow Jesus' love to so wound our hearts that we want to repent. He opens his heart to us sinners so that we will no longer consider God's commandments as burdensome, but as our path to freedom and joy. There is a great struggle these days between the subtle but destructive diabolical deception which masquerades as mercy, which winks at sin, and the divine mercy which looks piercingly at sin and invites the sinner to turn away and be washed in the eternal flow of blood and water that comes forth from the wounded side of Jesus we can so easily be led astray. This is why it is so important these days to recognize our need for a savior and cry out to him, my Lord and my God. This is why it is essential not to be afraid to always cry out, Jesus, I trust In you. Thank you.
0: We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture. If you'd like to learn more about the mission of the Institute and how you may become a part of this important work,